Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. This podcast is presented by the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma and funded by the Oklahoma State Department of Health. For those who don't know, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma strives to improve the lives of Oklahomans with autism across the lifespan. Before we jump in, I would just like to say that this podcast will discuss autism, suicide, mental health and wellness, among other topics, with autistic individuals and different professionals, with the goal of unmasking stereotypes, increasing awareness, advocating for mental health and wellness, and attempting to shatter the stigmas of these topics through conversation and personal experience. Hi, hello, welcome back to another episode of Unmasking Autism with AFO. I am your host, Carly Marissa Dummett, and I have a very exciting guest with me today. His name is Corey Sutton, and he is the CIT project manager and the law enforcement trainer for the Oklahoma State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. So yes, hi, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, thank you very much. Uh, My name is Corey Sutton. I'm retired law enforcement. I spent 25 years working in law enforcement, all of it in the city of Norman, but not necessarily for Norman actually started with the OU Police Department in 1996, spent three, almost four years with them, and then got hired by the Norman Police Department, spent eight years there, and in the very end of 07, the beginning of 08, I decided, don't want to play anymore, I left law enforcement. Went and got a real job. However, that (laughs) was when the economy crashed. So I lost that real job, and I called OUPD up, and I've been back with them ever since, until February of this year, or sorry, February of last year, 22, when I got was hired by the Department of Mental Health. Okay, great. And um, before we launch into our questions, um, do you want to share at all like your connection to autism? So, it's my connection to autism is a little off the table, kind of. Um, we have twin girls, and my wife has a. She was when they were born a member of a twin family group, and my wife is also a speech language pathologist, and she has worked with kids with autism since 1996. And I'll be honest, as a police officer, I didn't know anything about autism, even though she was working with them. And through her twins group, she met a a mom that has twins, but another child with autism. And this family has had three horrific experiences with law enforcement because the officers had no idea what they were dealing with. And so I was in my head, I was like, I cannot allow my profession to not know what they're dealing with when it comes to someone with autism. So I started working with my wife, um, the OU Police Department was started sending me all over to conferences, and the class was formed in 2000. This class that I teach now is formed in 2011, and I've been teaching it ever since. That's awesome. I'm very, very excited um, uh, to talk to you more in depth about this because, uh, as you know, uh, we at AFO we have a very um, large stake in training law enforcement yes. and first responders, so I, I think it's great. And I will jump into our very first question, which is very long, so I'm reading it right off the screen. (laughs) Um, According to U.S. research, persons with developmental disabilities, including autism, will have up to seven times more contact with law enforcement than a member of the general population. The National Institute of Health states that characteristics often associated with autism, such as emotional dysregulation, heightened levels of anxiety, and restrictive and repetitive interests and behaviors, are argued to contribute to an individual's risk of encountering the CJS at some point in their lives. This is why the training that Corey offers to law enforcement officers is so important. 
So I know you briefly just touched on the um, creation of it, but will you give us a little bit of background on your training for law enforcement sure. officers, where you're doing the training in the state, and then subparts, how many officers have you trained, who is the training offered to, and uh, do they receive any continuing education credits, all that good stuff. Okay. Um, the, the easiest way, if, and, I, and I say sell it, but that's not the, really what I'm doing, yeah. but the way to sell this to agencies is simply this. As a police officer, if I give you a question or a command, what do I expect as a police officer? I expect immediate response. Mm -hmm. Those of us that know someone with autism know that they're not often capable of giving that immediate response. So if, they, if as an officer I don't get that response, I'm likely to then step up. If I step up, they're typically going to step up. And then it becomes a vicious ladder that the top of that ladder, no one wants to get to, both the families, the departments, because bad things are at the top. So that's what, 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 what I, why I created the class and where it came from, is just to try to help officers not climb the ladder. They're going to get on the ladder, and I will stress that during the class. You will get on the ladder, but we hope that you're going to stabilize it, stop the climb. Um, so that's where it's, it's come from. The class that I do now today um, is very similar, but it's nowhere near the same class that started back in 2011 because things have changed and updated. And we constantly, my wife and I constantly update this to make sure that everything stays on level. Um, currently, I can tell you exact numbers. Currently, okay. well, not exact, but fairly close to exact, have about 300 and, th I'm sorry, scratch that, 3,369 officers, give or take. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's again for the last 12 years. I've done 192 classes that I'm familiar with. I may have missed some in there, yeah. obviously. Um, where it is offered? Anywhere in the state. Anywhere in the state. Uh, it is designed towards law enforcement because that's what I know. Mm -hmm. That's what I created it for. But I will let, I don't care who comes. Anybody can come to my class uh, because I fully believe that anybody can take something away from it. Uh, it is, um, there's just a lot of, you know, what does autism look like? Because can't, you can't tell me what autism is, yeah. and I can't tell you what autism is because it's different for everybody. Yep. But what it can look like, you know, ways to de-escalate if, if, if these kiddos are spinning up or whatever, and just how to get through some of these, these closer contacts so that we can get to a safer resolution, both for the departments and the families and the individuals. Yes, 100%. Um, so is it for you? For people who might currently, be yes, okay. it is free. Great. And again, does not matter what field you're in. Um, I have years ago. This was several years ago. I was able to get CEUs for counselors, for uh, other divisions, for um, other professions that need CEUs. I was okay. able to get CEUs for them for taking my class as well. Okay. So it is, it's doable. Yeah. And, okay. And the officers do get credits. For the class that they, the, the commissioned officers in Oklahoma do get the CLEAT accreditation for the class. It's eight hours, and they also get two hours included. It's not ten hours total, but it's eight hours. Two of those also count for mental health hours. So they, that's one of the uh, requirements that we are required to get by by statute. We have to have out two hours of mental health a year. Oh, okay. So wow. this also accounts for that. Okay, cool. All right, I did not know that. Yeah. I don't know too much about <laughs> right. law enforcement, sure. but I did not know that. Sure. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 
Can you share with us a little more in depth about what the curriculum covers? For example, how to handle calls involving potentially suicidal individuals or those having um, a mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. And also some examples of why it is, um, I know you touched on it Mm -hmm. briefly, but why it is crucial for law enforcement officers to know this. Um, it, so, it, like I said, it's an eight-hour day, and we start off in the morning by just you know discussing where, what, how these officers make or how these individuals may come into contact with someone with autism, and that can be anything, obviously, right? There's no nothing says this have a contact with autism. It can be literally anything. Um, and then we just talk a little bit about what some of the autism type characteristics they may see are, and that's very limited. We actually go through more of it throughout the day. Okay. Um, talk about what the CDC says about autism, what, how they classify it, the levels of autism. Um, we get into communication issues where these kids have, may, have, may have communication issues and how you can kind of get through some of that stuff by using other alternative means or changing how you're questioning things. Um, we, to- we show videos as far as um, both officer involvement videos, some good, some not so good. It is what it is. They happen, yeah. and we got to we got to learn from these. I'm not I'm not backdoor judging anybody. I'm not you know quarterbacking them, but we need to learn from these on this did work or this did not work, um, and that's a main fe- feature that we tell we talk about during the afternoon is there is no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you guys. I wish that I could that I could say okay do this it'll work every time with autism. You and I and everybody else that knows someone with autism know that's not even close to possible yeah. happening. So it's more of a kind of open their eyes to what they may experience, kind of open their eyes and, and get their get it in their head somewhere that if they're dealing with someone that's not responding the way that they think that they should or that they might assume that they would, it might be a developmental disability like autism, and they may have to change their gears in order to come to a, a, a different conclusion of that call. Um, it is, like I said, it's CLEAD accredited through, through CLEAD and has been since 2000 and either 11 or 12. I think it's 11, 2011. So it's, and it's a continuous deal. Every three years I have to update the, the number and they have no problem with it so far. Okay. So um, it's, I enjoy it. I love teaching the class. I have fun with it. So it's not something that I get in there. It's not the most exciting topic, yeah. right? I mean, for law enforcement, it's not guns, drugs, and rock and roll. It's a mental health thing. Yeah. It's, a, it's an autism thing, and, and that's not one of their usually main avenues. But I have a lot of officers that will come, come up to me afterwards and tell me things like, every officer should have this. They thank me for the information. Um, I do keep um, evaluations of the class, and I get lots of comments like that from, from the classes. For, or for, you know, the, 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 everyone should have this, or you know, wonderful class, good job. Um, I do, quote unquote, have firsthand knowledge. My girls do not have autism. They have a disorder called Phelan McDermott syndrome, oh, what, which is, it's rare. They're missing part of a chromosome. They're missing part of chromosome 22Q13. Okay. The best way to describe Phelan McDermott syndrome, it looks like autism. Okay. It's not, Yeah. but it is looks just like it. A lot of the same characteristics, a okay. lot of the same factors that go into play with, with these kiddos with autism and my girls. So I get to share a lot of firsthand experience with them about how when we're talking about things, look, here's firsthand experience of why this happens or what happens here yeah. and how to get through it. So it's okay. kind of interesting on that part. Um, it's, yeah, it's very, very, I'm not going to lie, it's, it's a challenge. I love my girls, yeah. but I get to use their experiences to help me teach others. Yeah, I have so, never heard of that syndrome it's, before. It's a rare one. There's roughly 
give or take 3,000 known cases worldwide. It, I'm willing to bet there's more of it out there. Yeah. We're just not testing for it. Okay. Would be, would, I'm just guessing on that. Right? Okay. I think here in Oklahoma, I think there's five cases of it, if Ooh. I remember right. At least there's at least several right here in the metro. Wow, that, really? Yeah. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. So um, this is a little off topic. But, sure. <laughs> uh, so how were they diagnosed with that? Like, was that one was of a, those? It was a blood test that they actually had to get. There's the, the standard way that usually gets caught is a microarray test, I think it's called, is microarray, and my girls passed that. Okay. When they went in and actually did a whole exome sequencing and went all the way down, they found this deletion in my girls' DNA, their chromosome 22Q13. Okay. So, wow. which again, is probably why it's being, if it's out there, I just think it's not being tested for it. Yeah, You yeah. might have to ask specifically for that test in order to get the okay. diagnosis. And so, so you say it, it, it can look like autism. Very much so. Okay. I mean, that's the best way I can describe it. Um, like my daughter, Alex, you know, these kids with autism oftentimes have a very focused, very specific area of interest or, or, or desire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Alex has two, just two, yeah. and it's DVDs or Blu-rays. Okay. She does not like streaming services. In fact, she hates streaming services. Okay. But she wants to buy every single movie that comes out, mm-hmm. and she does... She earns money by going to school, and now she earns money by, by just doing stuff, you know, helping around the house and yeah. stuff. But she has not watched a single one of those movies in the last three years. Okay. Then he, yeah, but she has to own the box. She has to own the case. Um, then her other major affinity is stuffed animals. Okay. She has more stuffed animals than she has movies. Okay. She knows the name, relationship of every single one of them. I cannot get rid of any of them because she'll know it's missing. Okay. And I'm not okay with that because they're overflowing in our house, but there it is. So it's it's very interesting. Um, Brooke is just very... Brooke is Brooke. That's the best way to describe her. She's The way that I tell people about Brooke is she doesn't really care what you want. Okay. She might know the answer. In fact, very frequently she knows the answer to whatever it is you're asking about. Whether or not she's going to give you the answer, it's up to her. Okay. I love it. So. No, I love it. Um, and I think that's probably one reason why your training is so important because, like you said, like I'm going to butcher the name of Phelan McDermott. Phelan McDermott. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just like what your daughters have, autism can sort of resemble other things like intellectual disabilities sure. or a lot of other disabilities. They kind of do all share similar traits. And so I think that's another reason why the training is so important. And, and, and I point that out during the class that, you know, we are going to talk about autism because, mm-hmm. again, that's what I did all my research on because of the family that we have, the family friend of ours that had the incidences with autism. And my wife worked with kiddos with autism. But I, but I make sure to clarify that this is a developmental or a neurodevelopmental disability mm-hmm. or neurodiverse disability. So you may recognize that someone has a neurodevelopmental or a neuro. Um, neurodiverse disability, may or may not be autism, but you're pretty much going to use some of the same quote-unquote tactics to get through some of these things. Um, When it comes to, you were mentioning suicide or asking about suicide, the studies that I have and that I use is that these kids with with autism are three times more likely to consider autism, I'm sorry, to consider suicide than the neurotypical kid. Three times is pretty significant. It is. Um, there's lots of reasons for this that could be out there. I mean, you've got, I, I, I asked the class this question. Unfortunately, are these kids isolated? And I asked the question, think back to middle school. 
I think middle school is one of the worst things we've ever done to children. Right. Think back to middle school. If you weren't a part of the group, were you anything? And many times these kids are not a part of the group. In grade school, my girls were invited to all kinds of stuff. They loved going to parties. They did, I mean, frequently, you know, at least once a month, if not more, they would be invited to some kind of event or go to something like that. When they got into middle school, that all went away. You're absolutely and it doesn't change right. much into high school. No. It might, but not much. Yeah. Um, so they're going to have the, they're going to have that isolation. Mm-hmm. Having said that, because these kids are often so, I'll use the word different, are they going to be bullied? Yes, they are. And there's tons of research that says that bullying can lead to suicide. Um, unfortunately, you also asked about mental health. Unfortunately, these children with autism, 70% of these kids have at least one diagnosable mental health disorder. Yep. Up to half of them have two or more diagnosable mental health disorders. The three main ones, and, and I can understand the first two. I can understand this depression. And I can understand anxiety, especially with, with autism. <laughs> They're a very anxious population. Um, the third one, though, I don't know why, how, or this one becomes into play, but schizophrenia is really high with these kids. No idea why that is, but it is really high. And those can unfortunately lead to suicidal ideation. Um, when these kids get uh, the, they have a hard time sharing their emotions or letting someone know that they're having trouble. And because of that, they don't freely or willingly or openly go talk to someone. For, for us, it, it, we know that if I'm not feeling good, I can go talk to somebody and hopefully they'll help them make me feel better. These kids with autism may not recognize that concept. Yeah. And because of that, it just continues to build. And then if they do get suicide into their head and into their ideas and they get that perseveration of thought, if you continuously think about something, yep. how long before you try it? Therein lies some of the problem. And it's just it's just tough. It really is. It's also the second leading cause of death for autistic people across the board. And yes, so um, I quote a I had a stud, American study and a Swedish study and these you know the American study says these kids on average are going to leave live to be a half of the normal life of an American. 36 years as opposed to the mean of 72. The Swedish study gets a little better. It's 39 as opposed to their mean of 70. So it's a little bit better there, okay? And then I will ask the class specifically I'll say because of that, just having that said right there, those two studies. Does that mean that autism is a deadly disorder? Answer is no. Because autism doesn't frequently kill these children. Yeah. It might lead to their death, though. The American study specifically says, this number staggers me, says that these kids are 40 times more likely to suffer a fatal injury from an accident than the neurotypical. Four zero times more likely. That's astronomical number. And because of that, a lot of these kids are just they're dying at a younger age. Yeah. Unfortunately. So um, I actually had a uh, fire op- fire officer. Oh my gosh, a firefighter <laughs> reach out the other day um, to ask me about the top three causes of death for autistic children, and we were talking about how elopement mm-hmm. oftentimes leads to death or accident. Do you, and to go off the what you just said about the 40%, is that, do you think a lot of that is caused from a child eloping and then getting into... Well, quite a bit of it is, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and eloping does lead to a lot of, unfortunately, lead to a lot of these deaths. Um, 
a study that was completed back from 2011 to 2016, so that five-year period, they had a grand total of 808 wanderings reported during this study. Of those 808 wanderings, 139 resulted in death. Of those 139 deaths, 98 of them were from drowning. Drowning is number one for autistic children, correct? Yes. Yep. In, in why are they drawn to water? I don't know. Um, I've, I've got theories. I've been backed up by numerous parents that, that I speak with and work with, so I keep using them. A lot of these kids, a lot of these kids are drawn to shiny. And what does water always do, no matter the light conditions? Yeah. It always shines, shimmers, reflects, whatever. The problem is, is that if I'm standing on the edge of the water, where's the shiny? Yeah. Out there somewhere, yeah. right? If the, shallow, if the water is shallow, no big deal. I can walk out there to it and we're good to go. Most of our ponds, most of our things do that where it kind of gradually and eventually just yeah. goes like that. And by that time, it's too late. Um, these kids with autism are extreme rule followers, right? And they're also very, very, very literal. So I'll ask you this question. Think, think not, not related well, to I autism. Have autism. I know. Think, okay. think not, try to think not related oh, to autism. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do we teach children about crossing the street? Look both ways. Okay. I want you to play a little imagination game with me. There. Okay. Okay. Because okay. that's the answer I get every time. Okay. okay. Remember what I said? They're very literal. Yeah. Right? Okay. So I want you to play a little imagination game with me. I'm 14 years old. Okay. I have autism. Mm-hmm. I am at a conference in Norman with my mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. During one of the breaks, I'm going to walk out to mom's car to get something. Based on the rules you just gave me, right? So I leave the building. I walk out on the sidewalk to the edge of the parking lot. But I stop at the edge of the parking lot. I look both ways. Then I step into the parking lot to go to, the, to mom's car and almost get hit by a car. Did I break the rules that you just gave me? No. Why not? Because I look both ways. What did we leave out? Look for cars. Oh my gosh, okay, 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 yes, yes, right? yes. But okay, in a parking yeah. lot, it's full of cars. Yeah, So yeah. This, this literal understanding of, yeah. of everything can both hurt and help, just depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And every class that I do, all the officers say is stop and look both ways. And I do that exact example with them, and they're like, oh. And I'll ask them, I said, did, did I break the rule? They're like, no, you didn't. Uh, I said, why didn't I break the rule? And they're like, well, because you stopped and looked both ways. Yeah. I said, yeah, and what'd you leave out? And they get it then. They understand it. Now, this can also backfire in a, in a kind of a silly way. Family experienced this not too long ago. Mother and father and Junior, they had taught Junior about the car part. So they go walking, and they come up to a sidewalk, crosswalk, and they all stop. They look both ways. Mom and Dad start to go. Junior stays firmly planted on the sidewalk. He's not going anywhere. And they like turn around and look at him, and he goes, Car! Wasn't wrong. There was a car up the street, facing the other direction, parked. But because he had been taught look for cars, okay. Okay. he could not step out into the street because he could see a car. Okay. So, so it, it's good and it's not so good. It goes yeah. both directions. And it really is. When you start to think about how these kiddos are processing and understanding, it's, it's more of a challenge than we understand. We, um, our language, especially the, the, the English, the American English language, is so incredibly vague. 
I mean, so vague. This is the second time today that I have heard that exact sentence. That's funny. Okay. Yeah, no, so it's true. So an example I give of that is, okay, I am diligently working on a project, okay, and doing something up here, and someone, no autism, I don't have autism, they don't have autism, they come up to me and they ask me a question, and while I'm working, I say to them, hang on a second. What am I, as a neurotypical, talking to a neurotypical, what am I telling that person? How long am I telling them to wait? Until I... Finish. Yeah. But yeah. is that what I said? No. No. I said, hang on a second. Yeah. These kiddos with autism, one one thousand. They're gonna ask you again. Yeah. And if and in my head I told you to wait until I'm finished, and you ask me again one second later, I give me a minute. So I now I'm upset, and in their head the, the clock just started back up. And you have these kiddos, these folks with without autism have no idea what they're doing. Okay, yeah. It's very challenging. And, yeah. and I get that. Um, very, uh, very understand or very little understanding of, of both you know directions. Processing times can be much slower with kids with autism. I'm guilty of this with my girls. Again, that autism similarity. Walk in the house. Hey guys, take your coats off. Put them on the hook by the door. Nothing. They'll wander around with their coats on forever, right? And if I think about it, and I go, oh, girls, coats, hook. They're much more likely to take their coats off and put them on the hook because they can't process all those words that I said to them. Instead of just coats, hook. Okay. So it again, it's there's so much involved in this. Eight hours probably isn't enough, but it, it is does at least opens doors. It opens mindsets about what we have to deal with. Yeah, no. 100%. And what these kiddos are are having happen to them. Yeah, so. no, one hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's true. That's true. I thought I felt like I was gonna, gonna get tricked there for a second nope. with the thing because nope. I was like, wait. Um. Uh, I also do agree though. Uh, and we've, you know, one thing we talk about on this podcast is, um, suicide awareness and prevention. And I can speak from experience totally. You are absolutely right. Middle school is I th- for everyone. It seems like, but Lord have mercy really like being bullied. You're right. And, um, you know, uh, repetitive thoughts, repetitive thoughts. Like I know, um, through therapy, I have learned, um, you know, ways to stop my brain from looping, 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 looping. But sometimes I replace one loop with another one. It's just a better loop than what is looping in my head. And, um, you know, I want to ask you a question because you're a police officer. And um, I so the mobile crisis units Mm -hmm. and the initiatives where like for suicidal calls, right? Sometimes you're getting a um, professional that's not a police officer going out to the call, right? That's beginning to become more and more popular. Yeah. Not not across the board yet, but it is becoming more, I don't want to say popular. It is, I mean, Edmund used to have a program. I think they're trying to re-staff theirs. Um, Tulsa PD has got a staff or a program like that. Oklahoma City's creating one, so they're they are coming. Um, so they oftentimes will have an officer paired up with a licensed mental health practitioner that, okay. that goes to those calls together. Okay. So there is a safety element with law enforcement, and there's also the safety. Let's get this person out of crisis with the LMHP. Yeah, yeah. So um, the law enforcement officers, though, are they um, getting 
a lot of suicide um, prevention and awareness training or are they having to seek it out through courses such as the one you offer? Uh, a little bit of both. Okay. Um, it depends on what, what all their, you know, yes, I mean, they, they obviously are going to take the CIT course mm-hmm. and they'll work through that program, which that's a week, that's a week long training. Okay. Um, and that's all about, you know, deescalation, what to look for. Um, we talk about signs and symptoms of other mental health disorders. Um, just because that's what this is all about. And it's and we, from that, there's also a discussion on suicide in there. Um, they have to, we have to work through those with those guys. And then typically those officers that are assigned to that unit, whatever you want to call it, okay. they're going to continue to seek out, because they're interested, they're in that unit for a reason. So they're going to be interested and go seek out more trainings in other places. Okay, cool. All right. Typically that's how it works. Yeah. All right, cool. Very yeah. cool. I like that. Um, so what tips can you give autistic individuals, their family members, and caregivers on interacting with police officers during a traffic stop or a stop and question scenario mm-hmm. or um, during an emergency that helps, um, like you said, de-escalate and keep both parties safe? Um, it, it's tough because every kiddo with autism is completely different. Yeah. And not only that, the, the something that we talked about during the class is that, you know, I'm going to give these guys, the officers, a lot of, and not all of them by any stretch of imagination, not all the options, but I'm going to give them a lot of tools to put in their tool bag. You know, here's, try this, try this, try this, okay? So let's assume that you go out with Billy today and you try A. Mm-hmm. And A works just great with Billy. And then tomorrow you go out with Sarah and you have to deal with her. And A doesn't work with Sarah at all. Okay. And you're like, oh, well, that worked with Billy, but it didn't work with Sarah. And then for some reason on the next day, the very next day, you have to go back out with Billy again and A does not work with Billy this time. And you know it did because you we calmed down, we were talking, and you tried again this time. And because he's in a different place, you know, mentally, the looping or whatever, you like, like you described your looping, changing it or whatever, it may not work what you did with him the last time. So officers really, I think, at least in this regard, have to think really quickly on their feet in order to adapt to what they're experiencing, what the officers are experiencing with these people, with these individuals. Um, for, for individuals with autism, for family members, caretakers, my personal, I highly, highly encourage them to go visit their local law enforcement. Go introduce themselves during a non-stressful situation. Okay, yeah. Because that way it's just an open door, go talk. That way the officers can ask questions, the families, the individuals can ask questions about, well, what would you do if I did this? Mm-hmm. And you get kind of get that out in the open a little bit. Um, the Autism Foundation of Oklahoma has the uh, the visor cards and, and the little billfold cards. Mm-hmm. Those are great. I'm all for those as long as the officers who get those know what autism is. Yeah. So it is, but goes back to education a little bit on that part, right? Yeah. Um, but no, they're great to have because, you know, personally, if I walked up to you and you handed me either a billfold card or a, a, a visor card and I, and I would see that autism, I would know exactly where to go or what to do. You know, I'm going to talk slower. I'm going to try to be calmer. Um, if you're sitting down, I'm going to do everything I can to sit down with you. Um, so it's just a matter of, of we have to deal with every single situation and every single person as it's happening. Um, but yes, definitely, I fully encourage individuals and family members to go visit law enforcement in a non-stressful yes. situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, when they're doing those events like the touch of trucks, yep. go to those, mm-hmm. you know, because these kids, if they're interested, they can put on all the gear, the, the, yep. the vest, because I mean, we took, we took our vests out there and let them put their vests on, which are heavy. Um, 
you know, they can oftentimes climb in the cars, yeah. squeak the sirens, get on the PA and talk on the PA, I know. which they love it. So. I got into the big, uh, I forget what it was called, but I, they use it in the military. Moore uh-huh. has one. Yep. That big black. MRAP. Yes, yep. that huge car. I got yep. up in there. I was like, this is pretty cool. You have to climb into that thing because <laughs> yeah. it's way up there. Yeah. yeah. But um, I'm glad you say that because I don't think that that might be something that just most people would think about like, oh, let me go up mm-hmm. to the police station and just and you, say you, hello. You don't even need that as an event. You can literally go anytime. Okay. Anytime. Cool. And just walk in, say, hi, I would like, I'm, I'm so-and-so. I live at this location. This is my child. Or even if you have autism and I have autism and I would just like to introduce myself or my family or whomever to you guys so that you know who we are. Simple as that. Good. Um, now, more mm-hmm. Norman and a couple of the other ones are starting programs, but more Norman have the said program. Yep. Big fan of that because it is one a voluntary program. Yeah. You don't have to you no know, mandate to yep. it. But I'm a huge proponent of that because if I go out on Billy, never met Billy before, right? And I go out, he's wandering down the road, and his like you said earlier about his behaviors are causing people. You know, this is not a quote unquote normal thing for someone to be doing. Yeah. It's normal for Billy, but not societally normal. So he, somebody sees that, they go, he's high on drugs. Go yeah. talk to him. So we get over there, and I start talking to Billy and. I run Billy through my system, if I have the said system in particular, and they come back and say, oh yes, Billy has autism. This is where he lives. These are his triggers. These are his hooks. Beautiful stuff to have. So the more knowledge that officers can have, the typically, the better off it's going to be for everybody involved because they should know at that point where to go and how to steer to to try to help de-escalate, to try to help um, get these folks to where they need to be or in a comfortable place. Yeah, no, um, thank you for mentioning that the said program mm-hmm. is great. I will put the information for that program in the description of this episode. So if you live somewhere where it is available, you can do that. And that is a perfect lead up to our last question, <laughs> um, which is very exciting for all of us. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the interim study that just happened yes. regarding the voluntary disclosure tool on state IDs or driver's license? Um, and do you think there will be enough support to help us carry this into the next legislative session and why do you support the law i fully support it um and i will say that just a couple years back there was a legislator that actually pushed to have a mandate if you have a disability to have that and i actually pushed against that one hard um i am a i've graduated from the partners in policy policy making program so i'm i've been uh, on the floor talking I mean, obviously, I was out the other day with that with the commission, um, but I don't want to mandate you yeah. if you have a disability that you must get that on your card. I agree. If it's voluntary, we're good to go. Mm-hmm. Big fan of it because if I walk up to an individual and they hand me their driver's license or ID card, and I can see on there somewhere that they have right away, I can see it and go, "Oh, he, this says he has autism." Again, based on my training and my knowledge, then I can adjust my gears to try to get quicker to this individual's comfortable place. Yeah. Uh, again, it comes back to knowledge, because if you an officer walks up to somebody and they hand them an ID card and it, and it says autism and they don't know what autism is, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. Interesting about that, that um, hearing that we had is that the training was actually one of the biggest things that came out of that. There are these, all the legislators were in there like, well, it sounds like we need to do more training. Mm-hmm. So there is that. I fully believe it's a great tool and asset to have added to our ID cards in the state of Oklahoma. I mean, I've trained, what, 3,000, almost 4,000 officers now. So 
there's a likelihood that someone's going to know what that means on the call. Yeah. And even if, like, say, for example, you know, even if the officer hasn't had any specific training, they will know what that symbol Mm -hmm. means. So even if they don't have the training, if they see the symbol, they'll understand to a point some of the context. And possibly ask for someone who does know. Exactly. Does anybody know anything about autism? You know, this officer across the way says, yep, hang on, I'll be right there. So, because, and I agree. So, again, knowledge is the biggest thing. It really is. But at the same time, and I'm not trying to make it like we need to, but identification is powerful as well. Yeah. Please understand, I'm not saying you must. No, yeah. If you're willing to, that's awesome. Yeah. Because that can help both sides of the coin. 100%. Because I think, you know, um, or I mean, I think everyone's aware of, you know, um, sometimes cops don't have the best reputation. Um, but you know, um, like you said, you gave the stimming example, you're right. Like societally, you know, somebody walking around stimming, especially if they're really, really stimming, you know, may look, it may resemble that of a drug user to a police officer. And I think something that's important for people to understand is the door swings both ways a lot of time. And you guys are trained to notice certain things you are you know you are here to serve and protect and you know if somebody is stemming like that and the officer you know it's like oh that person is high on drugs or something you know um that's what y'all have been trained to do um and it doesn't mean that cops are bad people or anything like that but that's why things like this um legislation would be great or the training that you provide or the training that we provide like you said it really just does come down to knowledge um on both parties everyone i think you can never learn too much right i'm a believer of that yes yeah you you never stop learning no 100 percent. no um, well, I think this was a great conversation. Is there anything else you would like to let anyone know before we wrap it up or? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I, I, I thoroughly enjoy teaching the class. I have a lot of fun with it. Um, basically it is currently a free class. Mm-hmm. All I literally, all I need is a date a location and people to talk to. That's it. Okay. It's and that now, easy, so. do you have um, a website or something? I, can... I don't, but I can give you my, I mean, you can use my email. Great. If you are in Oklahoma and interested in this training, the email for it to reach out to Corey will also be in the description of this episode. Um, but besides that, I just, I thank you so much for your time Absolutely. and coming out and um, thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. And we'll see you guys later. Thank you. Thank you again for tuning in to Unmasking Autism with AFO. I'm your host, Carly Marissa Dummett. Thank you again to the Oklahoma State Department of Health. And for any information on our trainings or our events, please visit www.autismfoundationok.org or follow us on social media platforms at Autism Foundation OK. As always, thank you so much and we'll see you next time.